Welcome to the First Prez Podcast, which features the message from this past Sunday's worship. Our services are Sunday mornings at 8.30, 9, 10, and 11 o'clock. You can learn more about First Prez at firstprezcos.org. Well, it's always fun to see the work of our church as we gather for business. But we're going to take time now and head back into our um, our look at our first pres values, and we're moving now to value number five, share good news. Do all it takes to reach those who do not know Christ. I talk to my friends about Jesus because I like to share his name, and I like to share what, how good he is. I think one way I try to do that is to just live a life that is exemplifying the qualities and characteristics of Christ. I started when I was a high school basketball coach, finally got enough courage to uh, share a prayer with my, with my players. I don't uh, uh, just come right out and say, do you believe? I just try to, in my actions, in my love of all people. Share good news. Do all it takes to reach those who do not know Christ. That's the value that we're talking about next. And um, uh, a lot of you might know that uh, I came to Christ through Young Life Ministry. Uh, we've got this, this call from the Lord to share good news with all people, with all nations, to go out to all people and to share the good news of what Jesus has done. That means that there is nobody that exists. There is nobody alive for whom the work of Christ does not apply. There is nobody for whom this is not good news, what Jesus Christ has done on the cross for them. And we're to go out and share with all. And, uh, and Young Life came and shared with me. And in the summer of 1986, I was at Oak Bridge Camp outside of San Diego, California, when I gave my life to Christ. And uh, because of that moment, I've belonged to Jesus Christ from that day still. So I want to uh, uh, share this, this value with you uh, by inviting someone special to come up and join us. Uh, Young Life, if you don't know Young Life, it was an evangelistic ministry. It is started in 1941 by Jim Rayburn. And First Pres has always had a really special relationship with Young Life. Young Life is now in, I hope I'll get this right, 100 countries worldwide, reaching 348,000 kids weekly in club meetings. 260,000 campers per year with 5,500 staff and 81,000 volunteers. Does that sound about right? <laughs> now, the leader of all of that is our friend Newt Crenshaw, who, uh, along with his wife Susan, are members of this church. Newt worked most of his career as a leader with Eli Lilly and was only able to volunteer with Young Life and to support Young Life until in 2016, the Lord and Young Life tapped him on the shoulder and asked him to come and lead this organization as its president. So I've asked Newt, along with a couple of friends, to come on up here and uh, talk to us a little bit about what it means to share the gospel with kids in Young Life. So please welcome Young Life President Newt Crenshaw. Thanks, bro. Thank you. Stay here for just a second. Um, I just want to say how much I appreciate Tim McConnell and his 
gospel centricity here, keeping Christ the focus. And I imagine there's a few of you who appreciate him too. So, Susan and I are so pleased to be a part of this fellowship. And as uh, Tim stated, uh, we have a long history, Young Life does, with First Press. Jim Rayburn came here from Texas where we founded the ministry uh, because, in large part, he had a faithful partner in uh, First Press. And we're grateful for that. And uh, you're going to get to meet a few of our staff folks in just a minute. But what I wanted to do was um, build on what Tim said, and he got those numbers right. We're actually in 104 countries right now, and we're praying for uh, the rest of them. There's about 126 uh, countries and territories uh, where we're not, and we're asking the Lord to help us get there. Uh, We're in 50 states, and our mission statement, our purpose statement is just this. Introduce adolescents to Jesus and then help them grow in their faith. And we want to stay true to that. And um, as we talk about sharing that good news about who Jesus is and what he can do in our lives, I wanted to just reference a few verses before I turn it over to my my colleagues here. You know, you've actually heard piped in this morning uh, as I was walking the Great Commission from Matthew 28, 18 through 20. And Jesus tells us to go, therefore, into all the nations and make disciples. And I heard a a Greek scholar one time say that that, uh, imperative that that command to go could uh, be uh, understood as as you are going. It's kind of a continuous imperative, and an encouragement for us today as we think about sharing the gospels. You don't have to move to as Floyd and uh, his wife did to Mongolia. You can uh, as you go share the gospel where he's planted you, and that's an important thing for us to remember. Just a little bit later, uh, and. Uh, in the New Testament, in the book of Acts, Acts 1.8 is just before Jesus' ascension. And he talks about the fact that his disciples, us, will be his witnesses uh, in Jerusalem, Judea, and throughout Samaria. But it's when the Holy Spirit comes on us. And so the second thing I'd like to say is this. We share the gospel in the power of the Holy Spirit who lives in us as we go. And finally, I want to share a verse, and I'll read this one to you, that impacted the founding of our ministry, and it kind of sets up what we'll do next. And it's from uh, Paul's letter to the Thessalonians, the first letter, chapter 2, verses 7 and 8, from the ESV. But we were gentle among you, like a nursing mother taking care of her own children, so being affectionately desirous of you, we were ready to share with you not only the gospel of God, but also our own selves, because you had become very dear to us. So my last encouragement as you go in the power of the Holy Spirit is share your life. It's not just the words of the gospel that we share, but it's our lives Because the people that God brings into our life are, as Tim shared early, objects of his love and are worthy of our sacrificial love. And that's what we try to do in the lives of young people, adolescents, middle schoolers, high schoolers, college-aged students as well. And so it's my distinct pleasure to ask to come up right now two ministers of the gospel, and that would be Sarah Green. Come on up. And she works with middle schoolers here in, uh, in Colorado Springs. And the area director who's over all of our ministries uh, to high school and middle school. 
uh, Scott Berry, and they, along with their spouses, uh, Chad Green and Kelly, are ministering the gospel here in our community, kids in most cases who don't know Jesus and aren't part of a church. And so I think you're in for a treat, so uh, tighten your chin straps. (laughs) Awesome. Hey, as Newt said, I'm Sarah Green, and I do work with Young Life, but I volunteer with middle schoolers here in Colorado Springs um, with our ministry to middle schoolers called Wildlife. Oh, thank you, Sarah. You're welcome. We thrive because of volunteers like Sarah and many more, who some of them are in this room, and I get the privilege to uh, serve leaders and students and adults all over this community to reach every kid. So yeah. we're grateful So we wanted here. to just jump in and talk about the foundation that Young Life sort of stands on that we call our core methods. And we're going to run through these quickly because then we'd love to get to what does this look like with adults? I think we have these on slides, our core methods, maybe? Great. So starting out with prayer. We, before we go anywhere, as Newt was saying, as we go, we are praying. We are intentionally praying before we walk into a school, before we have an event, before um, we do anything, we are praying, and that's kind of the foundation everything is built upon. Um, along with that is going where kids are. We are not necessarily just asking kids to come to us. We are going where they are, and that means going to sporting events, going to plays, going to concerts, going... If you've never been to a cross-country meet, they're terrible, but we go to them because... When a kid sees your face at a cross-country meet, they're like, oh my gosh, this person loves me and cares for me. The next slide. Uh, We also earn the right to be heard. This is something that I've heard um, when I became a volunteer leader when I was in college at Samford University in Birmingham, Alabama. You have to earn the right to share the gospel. So that means being in a kid's life and not just showing up one day and saying, hey, listen to me. And they're like, I don't know who you are. We earn the right by showing up time and time and time again. Um, And then lastly, or for me lastly, providing fun and adventure. Uh, If you've never been to a Young Life camp, there's opportunities for adults to go. Come with us. We'd love you to see it. But it is the utmost in adventure because we believe our God is a God of adventure. And we want kids to experience that and get out of their day-to-day life and out of their, um, you know, consumption with cell phones and what they're doing um, here in town. We want them to go and have fun and adventure. Yeah. Uh, some of our other core values and methods that we uh, do is we invite kids to respond to the great news of Jesus uh, and walk with them regardless of how they respond. And I think that last part is really what drew me in uh, to being a volunteer leader in college was that we care about them no matter what they think uh, about what we know to be true. Uh, and that earns us a uh, huge amount of integrity with them and builds a relationship that's authentic so that regardless of when they do respond, uh, they know that we're there with them and for them. So that's a huge part of what we uh, are about. The next one is uh, that we prepare kids for a lifelong relationship with Christ, that we don't uh, approach kids as a project or just want them in a program. Uh, we want them to see what it looks like to trust and walk with the Lord throughout their life. And so we aim to do that in a variety of different ways. Uh, and then we don't do it alone. We work alongside uh, adults in the community. Many of you uh, in this room have partnered with Young Life for years um, to see us reach every 
kid in this town. Um, so we do it together as a community. Those are all core methods of what we're uh, about. I think that's all of them, right? Mm-hmm. Great. Uh, so what does that mean to us? I think we've got to ask the same question uh, about the people that we interact with day in and day out. When you think about a 15-year-old kid, they're asking the question, who am I? Do I matter? Where do I belong? And what does the future have for me? And that's not any different than the questions that the people that you and I interact with on a daily basis are asking. Uh, Regardless of their age, they're asking, who am I? What am I really about? Uh, What makes me valuable? Where am I going and what's ahead for me? And so when we engage with people as a body of believers in this community, we want to understand that that is what's underneath all of people's actions and reactions to the circumstances in their lives, that they're asking these deeper questions. It's critical for us to understand that that is what is right under the surface uh, in their thoughts and in their mind day in and day out. So as we think about engaging them, uh, we have to know that there's much bigger questions being asked, um, regardless of what it looks like on the outside. Yeah, and so sometimes it can feel like... um where do I even begin? Where, where do I, okay, my pastor, the Bible, God, I have been called as I go to be a witness with the power of the Holy Spirit. Where do I begin? We obviously believe you begin with prayer, and it's not, I mean, it can be big general prayers, but we believe specific intentional prayers, praying for people by name. Um, when we get our, our volunteer leaders come together, we are praying for kids by name who we know that are lost and who are dead in their sin, and we are, we are pleading with the Father, God, we want this kid. And the same goes for your peers, your, the people you work with, the people you live next to. You are intentionally praying for them by name. Um, along with that is going into their world. Um, and it can be messy to go into the world of people who are not believers. Um, I've heard it once, I can't even remember where I heard it from, but a lot of times we believers, we expect non-believers to act like they know who God is, and they don't. So they're going to make bad choices. They're going to say terrible things. Um, But we still go into their world. And in that, we have to hold the things that they share with us um, tenderly. In that verse that Newt shared, it talks about like the tenderness of a mother. We have to hold the things, the pain, the brokenness, the disappointment. And quite honestly, a lot of that can be with people that they see as the church. There's a lot of pain that can be associated with that. People have experienced trauma in the church. We have to go to them with a tenderness and a care and hold those things um, and with an intentionality. Um, Sorry, I need to look at my notes and see what my last thing is. Oh, and this is one thing that I think is so important. And um, it can be tricky because... You are, we are urging you as a church to go into the lives of people, to go where they are. And um, it can't just be out of obligation or like, okay, I'm going to obey my pastor. This is what he's told me to do. All right, I'm going. <laughs> not that that's a bad thing. I'm so sorry. That, I'm so we sorry. should listen. Right, right. I mean, that's important. But it is, not just, it is not just obligation and obedience. It is going out of love. It is love for the lost, love for the people who are dead in their sin. And if we are going out of love, it's going to be a pretty rough go. And going out of love to the people who are the furthest out, we talk about a lot of times going to the furthest out kids, kids who sit by themselves at lunch, kids who will 
flip you off and be like, I don't want anything to do with you. But we go to them. In the same way, going to non-believers, you have to go out of love. Love for the hardest people to love. And that can be really hard, but with the power of the Holy Spirit that you talked about, that's the only way that it works. So what do we do when we show up, right? Like we go, we, we, we get to know our neighbors, uh, we get to know the people we work with. Uh, what do we do and what do we say? I would uh, dare you to say nothing. Instead, at first, take a posture of listening. Uh, we tell volunteer young life leaders all the time that the Lord gave us two ears and one mouth for a reason. It's to listen twice as much as we talk. And I think we've got to do that with the people that we interact with. We've got to listen to them. Hear what's going on in their lives. Hear what's behind it all. Uh, we have a great phrase um, that we encourage uh, ourselves and other leaders to say, but it's uh, three simple words. Tell me more. That can invite you into such a deeper place in a friendship with somebody. When you hear something uh, that kind of comes up and you just say, hey, you, you said this uh, just a minute ago. Tell me, tell me more about that. And just watch as they open up the pages of their life and allow you to bring something of value to speak. People that we interact with don't need more cliches. They don't need more moral advice. They need the word of God. And he's given that to you and I to speak into their lives. And it comes with power. And so as we listen, we'll be prepared to speak with power and authority with the spirit of God. And we don't go it alone. I cannot tell you how many times I've sat in those places of listening and been like, I don't know what to say. I don't know what to say. This is not anything near what my experience has been. I can't forecast what it's going to be like going forward. But the Lord says, remind them, tell them this about me. And that is exactly what our world needs to hear. Who is this Jesus? And what does he have for them? So uh, go with a listening posture and speak boldly the word of God to the folks around us. Yeah. Um, so kind of the, some things to keep in mind as you're going. First of all, there has to be a holy patience because what years of experience that I have seen and I know to be true is that sometimes it happens quickly right off the bat. But if you're going, if you're investing, if you're sharing your life, there has to be a holy patience and waiting on the Holy Spirit. It is not necessarily like an overnight thing that we can say like, okay, I've checked it off my list. I've got my gold star. I'm moving on. There has to be a holy patience. Um, secondly, Scott kind of spoke to this. We don't fix people. We tell them about the good news. We let the Holy Spirit convict them. And then we walk alongside them because the worst thing to do, and we've, we've seen it time and time again with kids, when kids come to know Christ and we're like, all right, great. We've got to still walk with them and teach them what it looks like to be a believer. So it can't be like, I've checked it off my list. I've shared the gospel. We have to be able to walk alongside people um, and, and, and really release what they share with us at the feet of Jesus. Because we, can't, we have no power. The Holy Spirit has um, given us the, the good news to share. And he's the one who does the work. But we can't say, all right, I've, I've healed you. I have fixed you. Um, the power of Christ in me does that. Um, and then I think the best, this is the best news that I didn't learn until a little, like, later after college. Um, because it's not just up to me. I get to um, release the pain 
that people share with you, and also avoid the pride that can come with thinking, oh, it's because of me that they know, know God now. Um, we get to lay it at the feet of Jesus, and then God gets all of the glory. It is not us that change kids' lives in Colorado Springs. It is God the Father, and we are, I mean, that like releases me. It makes me feel like, okay, that's a burden off of my shoulders. Um, and then one thing just to remember, and this, as I was thinking about all of this, I thought to myself, we are all beneficiaries of someone who shared the gospel with us. Praise God. Um, my young life leader, her name was Kimpy Jenkins in Memphis, Tennessee, back in the 90s, um, and she went home to be with God this year. She was an amazing woman, loved me unconditionally when I was an annoying high school kid, um, but because of Kimpy's legacy, I'm here today. I'm sharing the gospel with kids in your community, um, and hopefully we'll see the generational fruits of that. So we want to invite you in. So in your uh, packet, uh, you'll see a little card that says, tell me more. That's to remind you. That's a great phrase to use with the people around you. And on the back is um, a place for you to just write down the names of people uh, that you interact with um, on a daily, weekly, monthly basis that you want to know the Lord um, and pray for them expectantly, um, but do it intentionally. yeah, and then watch the Lord move. So, that. thanks for being a people who uh, believe that the Word of God is still changing people's lives and that we have that opportunity here in our city. Absolutely. I'd love to pray for you all as a church as you go um, because this it's not an easy thing, and it, but it is an important thing. It's necessary, which is why you're talking about it here on a Saturday afternoon. So let me pray for you all. Father God, we bless this congregation. In the name of Jesus, Lord, we send them out um, with love, and we send them out to the furthest out people in this town who sometimes can be hard to love. Um, We are grateful for a congregation who has this as one of their core values, Lord, that sharing the good news of your son Jesus and what he did for us um, is this important. We send them, we bless them, we pray that you multiply the people in this room based off of the the lives that will be changed. And we believe firmly that you will do it. And we ask all these things in your name. Amen. 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 Thank you, Scott. Thank you, Sarah. Thank you, Newt. We love Young Life. We love Young Life. Thank you for what you do. Because we're, ta- we're holding up this value as a church. Share good news. Do all it takes. Do all it takes to reach those who do not know Christ. And when I think, well, maybe, I'd, maybe I'm, I'm, you know, I'm losing courage. I don't know if I want to do all it takes. Friends, we can just look over at Young Life. And we can see people that are willing to give away their time, that are willing to go out to cold cross-country meets and just sit with kids that don't like them and, and are messing up everything and, and are just a gigantic mess, right? And just love them and love them in Jesus' name and love them and love them until something happens. The gospel comes clear and salvation emerges. But friends, here's the challenge. We have this ministry 
We're grateful for Young Life. We're grateful for Crew. We're grateful for uh, parachurch ministries that run off on their course that God has given them to move into particular places at particular times, like like chaplains at the hospital. You've got a, a moment there. But we're a church, and we have this ministry to share good news, do all it takes to reach those who do not know Christ. When I was a kid and then got into Young Life Ministry, at some point they asked me, what would you be willing to do? What would you be willing to do to maybe help another middle schooler uh, meet Christ? Would you be willing to jam 12 crackers in your mouth and try to whistle (laughs) in a minute? I thought, that sounds kind of embarrassing. I don't know. Would I be willing to do that, Jeff? Do you think I would? (laughs) Would you be willing to... Uh, get up in front of kids that you don't know and lip-sync to a song that you've never heard before, you know? Would you be willing to give away your time and go out and make someone else feel special that you've never met, you don't know anything about them, but you're going to make them feel valued and special? Would you be willing to? I want to ask you that question. What would you be willing to do to introduce someone to Jesus Christ someone who does not know him. What would you be willing to do? And it never works this way, it never works this way, but if the Lord said to you, if he said to you, if you would be willing to do this, then I guarantee, I guarantee that this person will come to know me and will come into eternal life. It never works that way. But if the Lord said that, what would you be willing to do? What, what, what kind of a sacrifice would you be willing to make? What kind of an engagement would you be willing to risk? What would you be willing to do? What if that person was your daughter? What if that person was your grandchild? What would you be willing to do? Do all it takes. This matters so much to me, folks. Before I knew Christ, uh, I was, had a family that loved me and, and, uh, and, and good things in my life. But friends, I was spiritually in the dark. I didn't know that a life had purpose. I didn't know that a life had meaning. I didn't know that a life was worth living. And until someone was willing to do all it takes to enter my life and to say, you're valuable. In fact, I remember your name and I celebrate that you're here and there's something that God has for you and I want to explain it to you. Until someone was willing to take that risk on me, I would have spent the rest of my days spiritually darkened, unaware that there's anything else other than trying to feel good in this world, unaware that God loves us so much that he sent his son to die for us and to bring us into eternal life. And so how do we as a church recognize that we have this ministry? You see, because there are organizations that go out and they bring the gospel and they stand for Christ and they move into this area and this area and this area, but we have this ministry. And when we talk about the church, the church is the body of Christ, and that means that the body has lots of different functions and lots of different organs. And one of them is evangelism. 
One of them is that the church is here to reach this city for Christ. One of them is that Jesus Christ intended for First Pres to be an effective vehicle for the gospel in Colorado Springs, not just in 1872, not just in 1972, but in 2020 and in 2072. And so we have to continually reshape ourselves to make sure that we are the most effective that we can be in having this ministry that when people come through our doors, they feel, they feel welcomed and celebrated and known and loved. And they feel that there's something happening here that's bigger in life than they thought that could happen in life. Do you know that every Sunday morning we have somewhere around 60 to 90 visitors to our church? And because we're such a large church, uh, we, I, I don't know if you do this, but everyone I see, I assume, belongs here. <laughs> you know, Because you're here, so you must belong here. And so, but a lot of people that are here, they're here for the very first time every Sunday morning. And we've got to have a culture that's ready to receive them, to welcome them, to ask them, what's your heart seeking? What's your life missing? What are you hungry for? The answer is Jesus. And to call the question and to bring people into a living relationship with Jesus Christ. First Pres is, has been, a great place for Christians. I mean, if it's our job to gather Christians, we're great at gathering Christians. Amen? And we can do that. We can do that. And we, we still do that. It's a church is a place for Christians to be nurtured and to be supported and to care for one another and to be the body of Christ together. We're a great place for Christians, but we've got to be a great place to meet Christ for the very first time. Every Sunday morning is a mission. Every Sunday morning is a crusade. Every Sunday morning is an opportunity for the gospel to reach a heart, a soul that has been lost and will no longer be lost, but will be found and known and be made a child, a son, a daughter of the living God. I'm way off my notes, folks. What would you do to me? It's that young life bit. You guys just got me right off track. Tell you what. Preacher. Help me, Lord. Help him, Lord. So, what are we doing? Well, you've seen the path of discipleship. Uh, we're really good and gifted and talented as a church. If you come to us as a worshiper, we can help you become an awesome disciple and an activated disciple. We do that in our sleep. We fall off the wagon doing that, okay? Not fall off the wagon. That would be the wrong thing. But, <laughs> but, but, you know, we fall backwards into that. It's easy for us. Where we're challenged is, uh, is how do we get into the community members? How do we help community members become participants? And how do we reach participants with the gospel to where they can meet Jesus for the very first time? Some of the things that we've been doing over the last couple of years are strategic to, to deploy ourselves as a church back on that very beginning stretch of the pathway of discipleship. What do we look like in the community? What do folks know of First Pres? What, are they, what story do they hold in their heart when they hear about First Pres? We, we changed our logo to a, a 1P. 1P. That logo, friends, is not designed to gather Christians. That logo is designed to begin conversations with non-Christians. I was uh, getting my oil changed, and, uh, and the guy changing my oil said, okay, you, I've seen you here a couple of times, and there's that sticker on the back of your car. I've got the magnet on the back of my car. And I see this, that it's on your laptop, and now I see it on your phone. i got to ask you, what is that thing? I said, well, that's my, that's my church, First Pres downtown. Have you ever heard of that? I said, oh, yeah, that's the big church uh, by the park, right? Yep, 
That's the end of the conversation. I don't have anything more to tell you. Stand by. <laughs> more to come. But that's the whole point. If, uh, if, that's, if that logo was, uh, was ripe with, uh, with Christian expression and Christian symbology, that conversation right there never would have happened. And we've got a, a college student who opened up his laptop at, uh, at Pikes Peak Community College and had the First Pres logo on his laptop. And a friend came by and said, now what's that? So that's my church, First Pres. And you know what that guy said? He said, I don't know about church. Why does God let bad things happen to good people? And that young man turned to this friend and said, you know, I struggle with the same thing. I struggle with a lot of big questions. In fact, there's a group of three or four of us that we get together and we open the Bible and we struggle through questions together. Would you ever like to come to something like that? And do you know what that kid said? He said, yes. And he brought a friend. Friends, that's the kind of posture that we need to have in our community to get the gospel out, to get the gospel out of these walls. Do you think of First Pres as an instrument to reach the lost for Christ? Do you think of your church as a tool of evangelism? Do you think of Sunday morning as a mission? Do you think of this as a place where you could invite the least likely candidate to come and to meet Jesus? and to meet Christ for the very first time. If I were, (laughs) if I were picking where to send a non-believer, I would pick First Pres. I would pick you, friends. I would pick this church because we're chock full of disciples who have been through the ups and the downs. We've been through the twists and the turns and we have tested and we have tasted and we have seen that the Lord is good. And he can carry you through. And if I had anywhere that I wanted to throw a, a non-believer who's just starting in the faith and just going to meet Christ, I would want to throw him right into this room. I would want to throw him right in the middle of you all so that you could walk with him. All the way from not knowing the Lord to knowing the Lord to not understanding the gospel to believing the gospel, straight into giving their life to Christ and right into learning to, to walk and to read the Bible, and to pray, and to follow Jesus, and to become disciples, and to become worshipers, and to find their gifts, and their purpose, and their meaning, and move out in this world to the glory of God. I would hand that person to you. And I just pray more and more that we as a church find our way to do all it takes to reach those who do not know Christ. Do all it takes. Do all it takes. We're hosting uh, Christian Life conferences about spiritual conversations. That was such a powerful conference with Don Everts. He's going to become kind of our, our hip pocket expert in how to get into people's lives and spiritual conversations. And I know you're going to see Don Everts again and again and again because the stuff that he is doing to help shape communities of faith like ours to get into meaningful conversations for Jesus is just at the cutting edge. And, uh, and that's the kind of, of relationship that we need to have with non-believers. We need to be building friends and we need to be praying, praying that salvation Salvation happens right here, right here, every Sunday morning. And we pray because Psalm 127, 1 says, Unless the Lord builds the house, the builders labor in vain. Unless the Lord watches over the city, the guards stand watch in vain. And if we pray like that, if we pray for the Lord to move, if we pray for this church to be an effective instrument of conversion, 
If we pray for First Pres to be in the hands of Jesus as, as much an instrument, a tool as he could possibly use to reach the city, we know we will be light and life for the city. The light and life of Jesus. We, um, we've begun Alpha, and uh, we've had 50, over 50 participants in Alpha programs. Uh, many of you have volunteered for Alpha or been a part of that. Uh, we have seen people come to Christ through Alpha this last year. And we have seen people renew their faith come back home to, to faith in Christ and come back home to a, a relationship with Jesus. Uh, on Sunday morning, we want to expect that people would come to Christ by coming here on Sunday morning. In our children's ministry, in our youth ministry, in our college ministry, we are setting up intentional points where there are opportunities to give your life over to Christ. Because it's not going to happen naturally. You've got to, be, you've got to come to a moment. You know The Lord's got to put it in front of you and say, look, what are you going to say? So, friends, God bless Young Life. God bless Parachurch Ministries. God bless you and your, your work that you're doing. God bless every effort. But, friends, God bless First Pres. We have this ministry. Share good news. Do all it takes. Do all it takes to reach those who do not know Christ. It's a rich session that we've just had. And so I'm going to invite you to pull out your field guide again. We're going to take just a moment to spend a moment in reflection and, and just think about what is it that God is stirring up in your heart? What is it that God might be calling you into? Maybe it's dipping your toe into some of this by, by working with connecting ministries. Maybe it's thinking really intentionally about your neighborhood, your neighbors. Maybe it's working with teenagers and children and family ministries who, who are looking to understand who the Lord is and who the Lord is calling them to be. Or maybe it's inviting someone, inviting someone that you're already in conversation with to the next Alpha course or serving in that area. Let's take just a moment now to spend a few minutes in reflection. something from the Lord on that. Let's go to value number six. Deploy generosity. Invest who you are and what you have in what God wants to do. I give because I have been given so much. That's one of the things that, that we do in response to who God is and the ways that he has uniquely gifted us. I serve by just helping others any way I can and trying to be kind whenever I find time to.
Lydia, we are so blessed here at First Press because we have so many places for folks to serve. We do. It has been such a joy to get to be with you guys over this past year and see how First Pres is serving around our city through 20 local organizations that we support, as well as four global partnerships. Our congregation is also really generous, and we've been giving uh, about 17% of all the money that comes in out to different mission expressions. Great. I want to just take a quick poll here and ask how many of you volunteer your time and gifts somewhere in this community. In other words, how many of you serve outside your homes? Wow. Wow. And let me go a little further. How many of you have been on a global mission trip recently? Well, anytime. Wow. Yes. Great. Wow. That's amazing. That's amazing. Great job. Um, watch this video as these folks sit around a table and ponder what does it look like to be generous? As I've gotten to know each of the three of you over time, I I am privileged to have witnessed you uh, use your faith in many different ways. But as a Christian person, what what does generosity mean to you? Generosity is a uh, sort of a a broad word. And it's that sense of of more abandoned than it is, you know, what's the least? Uh, what, you know, what, what do you need? Maybe we can sort of take 5% of that. But generosity says, how can I, how can I really make this happen? How can I be involved in, in thinking bigger than what we've been thinking before? You know, I would say generosity in my life started when I didn't have any resources. I came to Christ at 28 and was, uh, my wife and I were married and we kind of began that journey. Uh, you started right here at First Press Church and and began that journey of, of, and I'm a fairly optimistic person, so it isn't difficult for me to kind of keep an upbeat, uh, uh, but I think at generosity, when I didn't have money, I looked for other ways uh, to be generous, and, and so early on, uh, uh, red letter, New Testament, a lot of uh, stuff, loving the Lord your God and then loving your neighbors yourself, to me was what is an, and then a neighbor, you know, being a Samaritan, was not the person that you'd think you'd be generous to. Uh, so being generous to people who weren't generous uh, is, what, is what I've kind of built uh, my, the rest of my, of my Christian life on. Romans 6 kind of leads us towards this idea that you're going to be a slave to something. And it's either going to be a, a slave to flesh or a slave to Christ. And, and Paul uses that phraseology over and over again. And we have... I think in today's society, in today's culture especially, we have uh, this, this almost kind of a negative connotation when it comes to, I, I think, how he intended to use that word, um, especially when it, when it comes to things like generosity and money. I mean, that's something that you're either going to control it or it's going to control you. Mm-hmm. And, and so the, the best way to, to get to, to a generous heart, I think, is, is number one, prayer. Number two, it's exactly what you said, is, is start where you are, you know, yeah. and if that's a person where you have, you know, not much at the moment, then then kind of be where you are right there, accept where that is, but pray about it, and, and God will work on your heart. So I was flying back from Brazil one time, and, and I'd, been, I'd seen a lot of the Compassion Projects, and there's three or four hundred kids inside the fenced area, and then there's probably six or seven hundred kids that are standing out on the outside. And it, I was flying back and try, trying to sleep, and I just felt tormented by the fact that, God, how, how can I possibly raise enough money to get those kids inside and get them into the and I was laying there and just thinking about that meditating on that and and God just said help the ones that I give you 
And I thought, wow, help the ones that I give you. So in other words, he's responsible to, to bring the people that I can help. Uh, and I, I, I just do your, in other words, do your part in helping them. So I think it takes some of the burden off of, of the stress that comes from just not doing enough or not being able to do enough. And I think that, I think that paralyzes a lot of giving. When you talk, if you tie it back to generosity, I think paralysis. Uh, uh, people get, it's, what can I do? It's it's just overwhelming, and it gets back to that again. Do do with what God gives you. Yeah. I, I experienced that too here here at the church. You know, you you get to to midfall sometimes, and and as we all do, um, who are in the nonprofit and faith based nonprofit environment, is we start to worry, yeah. right, as whether or not we're going to make year end, and what does that mean, and mm-hmm. and the the folks that are uh, in our organizations that are relying on their families are relying on us, and so I, I can say with absolute faith at this moment, having worked. At first press, for as long as I have, God does provide. He I mean, does. it's amazing. At the end of the year, you just think, "How are we going to get there?" And uh, and and there it is. And so, as we're thinking about these sort of personal stories, I mean, these are things that we've experienced and seen. What what do you think a church like First Press could do if it got a, if it got if God really called it towards something? And and a, you know, the two thousand plus people that come to worship on Sundays, um, just just caught a vision for something really big. I mean, our vision statement is light and life for the city, right? What if, what if that really actually became something tangible in a way that, what do you, what do you think could happen if, if that actually mobilized? Well, the, the, when you start thinking in terms of, of a collective asset or a collective vision, uh, that's usually what a church, a local church is about. There is that, that that emerges. And when the decision was made for First Press to stay downtown, because we're a downtown church, there there was underneath that a so that, so that we can do something else together. And I think there's, there is that sense of, of all the commuters <laughs> saying, how do we? How do we do this? And it really, what it, I believe, what it really takes is that that vision casting that says, um, "Here's here's something a bigger vision than a local church usually has, and how big is that vision? How is it uniquely suited to us? And how do we how do we have space for other people for everybody to get involved? I I think that that the spiritual vitality within our church right now is coming together to say we we are ready for some to be challenged with something bigger. All right, so let's get down to brass tacks. So part of what we're talking about today in deploying generosity is money. So how, how does how does it work? What do we do with that? Um, and how are we called to use our resources? And the one thing that one of my favorite quotes or my favorite books actually is Henry Nowen's Spirituality of Fundraising. And, and in that, he says, and I, I want to see if you guys cringe, um, fundraising is proclaiming what we believe in such a way that we offer other people an opportunity to participate with us in our vision and mission. And so it's interesting that that Henry Nowen would use the word fundraising because for a lot of us it makes us kind of cringe. But, you know, we sometimes just need to call it what it is, right? So we have two expert people here. How, how do you feel about that? What does that mean? I think that fundamentally what we 
what we do with our resources is an outgrowth of what we really believe God is calling us to be able to do it as individuals and as collectively as a church. I, I think there are always projects where you could put a lot of money on the table, but the reality is there are there are things that that somehow the initiatives that come down to the the fact that when there is the potential to do stuff, then there's some really good thinking that goes on. The potential of having the assets available. There's some really good thinking that begins to go and, and begins to, to be the co- topic of conversation among people within the church. And from, from my perspective, and it's, it's sort of this axiom that the money flows toward the biggest, biggest ideas. And it's it's the, the the job of us as as leaders within the church, but it's also within members of the congregation to say, let's let's start dreaming bigger than whether or not we want to repave the parking lot. I think the whole I think the culture we're living in right now is a is a byproduct of a loss of love or a loss of compassion or a loss of sympathy or empathy for one another. We are or it's it's angry, and I think that some way somehow the church has to rise up and demonstrate what that means. What does it look like to love one another? What does it look like to, to love our brothers and sisters and those that aren't so lovely? I think that's a, I think, I think out of great, out of darkness, a little bit of light can dispel a lot of darkness. And so I think that if we just keep the, that light as, a, as a kind of the anchor of the mission, I think a little bit of light can dispel a lot of darkness. A, 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 a church that has spiritually is, is spiritually alive and has people who have a vision for being Christ's presence. It's you know, in, in my judgment, it makes a difference. It really does make a difference, not just in terms of 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 the you know the community, but it's in terms of authenticity. It's a reflection of Christ. It's the real deal. Yeah, yeah I think faith is one of those things that. You know, it kind of kind of starts from within. It's that little bitty seed that that grows big. And if if we're really honest about what difference can we make, just as one one human being, I uh, you don't have to look very far in Scripture to to see people that didn't think that they were much and didn't didn't really have a lot that they were attached to, and and God did great things and, and big things with them. So I think some some of it is is you know kind of outside of our own heads if you will um we're we're going to be shown the direction that we're going to go as an organization and as individuals um i think it's our job to to be humble enough to to listen and and accept where where that leads us a big thank you to that panel for being part of that discussion um Aaron Allison Clary Paul Nelson. How are we doing? Are we doing okay? Poke your buddy and say, stay awake. <laughs> Deploy generosity, we say. Invest who you are and what you have in what God wants to do. Why is this a value? All that we have and all that we are comes from God and belongs to Jesus Christ who saved us. We're not consumers. We're not, we're not consumers of a spiritual service provider. We're investors in the kingdom of God. And that's a mind shift. And what that does to us is it, does, it takes us through two shifts. One is it takes us from bound to free. 
And then it takes us from free to purposeful. To purposeful. What do I mean? Generosity is a gift, folks. It's a grace that God has given us. That we could take something of our temporal things, our, our time, our money, things that only matter in time, and if we give them to God, He does things that matter for all eternity. He builds kingdom things that go on forever to the glory of His name. What an amazing gift that God has given us that we get to participate in something like that. But, you know, for all of us, we get wrapped up in, in stuff. And, and so we hold this as a value to say we want to encourage one another to deploy generosity, to give all that we have and all that we are to what God wants to do. Because the problem is that, uh, that we are bound. And there's a problem that we all, all have. We want peace with our money. When I was a kid, uh, I remember collecting, um, well, I was a saver as a kid. I just was a little saver, you know. Whenever I got a birthday check or some money or something like that, I tucked it away. And I didn't really have something I was saving for. I just liked having a big pile of money, I'll be honest with you, you know. And in fact, uh, I, liked having, I liked having coins. I liked having pennies. And, and uh, one time I, I remember an afternoon that I had all these pennies. I had them all collected up and, and actually crawled under the, the sink, the kitchen sink, and got out the Brasso. You know Brasso? And, and I spent the afternoon literally polishing my pennies. You know? You could take an old penny and, and you could polish it up and woo, it shines. And, and there it gleamed. And, and then I, I piled them up in little piles like Scrooge McDuck in the cartoons with just woo. And I looked at all the money that I had and I loved counting it. I loved knowing exactly how much was there. And then I, and then I got in a fight with my pennies because I wanted to, to buy something. I wanted to buy some Bubblicious. But I knew that if I, wanted, if I went and I, and I bought Bubblicious, that was going to be 50 of my beautiful, shiny pennies. That's a lot of those pennies, and I like those pennies. And so I, we were in a fight. We were in a fight. In some ways, we're in a fight still, right? We don't have peace. Where are we? We're, we're bound. We're bound by, by money. We're bound by a sense that our value, our worth, is somehow wrapped up in, tied up in that number. How, how tall those shiny pennies are. Jesus, he confronted someone uh, that we only know as the rich young ruler. The rich young ruler came along and, and, and he saw Jesus teaching and he asked Jesus, uh, what do I need to do to get into heaven? And Jesus said to him, well, what do you think? And the man answered Jesus. He said, well, teacher, he declared, uh, well, what he said was, excuse me, he said, uh, well, you ought, to, you ought to obey all the commands of God. You ought to obey the Ten Commandments and everything that's been taught. And, uh, and Jesus said, yeah, that, that's right. You've, you've answered well. And then he said, teacher, all these I have kept since I was a boy. All these commands, he said, I have kept since I was a boy. Now Jesus looked at him and loved him. One thing you lack, he said. Go sell everything you have and give to the poor, and you will have treasure in heaven. Then come follow me. At this the man's face 
so. He went away, what? Sad. Because he had great wealth. You think he would go away happy because he had great wealth. If we're living according to the terms of the world around us, the culture around us. But he didn't go away happy. He went away sad because he had great wealth. What was wrong? There was no room on the throne of his heart for Jesus. Money was already seated there. There was no room for Jesus to come in and take command and mastery of his life. Money was already seated there. And so this young man was in bondage. He was bound. And Jesus knew when he looked at him, he knew there's one way for you to be free, and that's for you to walk away from that master and bend the knee to me. And the the young man wasn't able to do it. It's all about the heart. You see, when there's no room in your heart for Jesus, there's there's no room for him to come over, then something else is, is in the mastery over you. Money is a wonderful servant, and it is a horrible master. A horrible master. And often we don't even realize that we're, we're submitting ourselves. Decision after decision, moment after moment, thought after thought, inclination after inclination, we're adding links to the chain. And just like Jacob Marley coming to see, <laughs> coming to see Ebenezer Scrooge and he's dragging these chains, we don't even know that we're adding a link, adding a link day by day. But it's about the heart. How's your relationship with money? How's your relationship with the Lord? Who is on the throne of your heart? And so what do we teach at church? We teach the tithe. We teach the tithe. We give a tenth. We give from the first fruits of what we have. We give it to the Lord. We give a tithe to Jesus. The tithe is not a legalistic guilt machine. It's a safeguard and a method of freedom from greed. Jesus wants to detach you from those chains. And and one way to do it is to step toward the tithe. So we encourage one another continually to to practice that as, as a mark of mature Christian discipleship. I give 10% to the Lord. I give 10% to the Lord. Because everything that we gather to ourselves wrongfully steals life from us and binds us. But everything that we give away to Jesus, he multiplies to build eternal things. And Jesus, you know, he was not a hoarder. Jesus was not. Jesus, Jesus was generous. And he didn't just give from what was left over. And he didn't just give from what was, was sort of on the excess. He gave all that he had. He gave his entire life for you and for me. He gave his whole life. So we ask one another at church, are you tipping Jesus? Are you tipping Jesus? You see, because sometimes we get involved in a church, we think, oh yeah, I see the plate going by, and maybe I'll tip Jesus too. Because Jesus has been pretty good to me, he's done fairly well by me, so I'll throw a tip in for Jesus. Are you tipping Jesus? Or are you intentionally investing in what God is doing in the world? Are you intentionally investing in the upbuilding of the kingdom of God such that over time you look back and you say, here is where my sacrifice went and here is what God did with it when it was in his hands. That's the first thing God wants to do is he wants to free you. And the second thing he wants to do is to give you purpose. But friends, there's, there's a dragon on the loose when we talk about this value. 
There's a dragon on the loose that, that sort of uh, flies along in our neighborhoods and peers in our windows and, and whispers in our ears, never enough, never enough, never enough. And no matter how much that dragon eats and consumes, he's never satisfied. And there's only one way to be free of that. You see, there's only one way to strike that down. We're, how ridiculous to hear never enough and to believe it. When we're living in the wealthiest society that has ever existed in the history of mankind, when we are living in the top 5% of all the people that live on the face of the earth, how could we possibly believe anyone whispering in our ears, never enough? God's blessed us so richly. But we believe it. The dragon comes along and whispers, never enough, never enough. And he wants to eat you. He wants to eat your marriage. And he wants to consume your family. And there's one way. There's one way to take out your sword and drive it through his heart. And that's to say, this number does not define me. This, this number is not who I am. This is not the sum of my value. I have been won by Jesus Christ, and my value is defined by Him. And I am not defined by the values of this world or the size of my bank account or the, ex the extent of my wealth. I am defined by Jesus Christ. And so... I take out my sword and I run it through that dragon. Why? Why? Because I'm going to be free from that. And here's how I do it. I say, now watch. 10% goes to the Lord. 10% goes to the Lord. And I run that, that, that sword right through the heart of that dragon. So you don't get to define who I am and what I'm worth and what I mean to the world. 10% goes to the Lord. But friends, we know 10% is only a starting point. We owe Him our very lives. And the wonder of the good news of the gospel is this, that when we trust Jesus with our life, with everything, we trust Him with our time, we trust Him with our family, we trust Him with our finances, that when we give Jesus our life fully, He gives it back to us in ways that we never, never imagined. And so we see that not only, not only are we free from the bondage to greed and the love of money and, and the definition of our worth by some monetary sum. But we are not only set free, we are actually set to purpose. Because as we give as a church, we get to watch God do amazing and eternal things that change our city, that change our world, that change lives forever. So friends, we hold it as a value, a standard. It's the colors we wear. We will not forget. When we're confused, we turn again and we say, deploy generosity. Invest who you are and what you have in what God wants to do. A moment of reflection. What is God speaking to you? The question is, where are you giving? Take a moment. Write your response. Thank you.
we're about to head into our final value of the day and then have a bit of worship. Um, quick stretch break, and we'll start again at 2.30. Okay, I want to invite you to come back in. I'm sorry, that was a fast break. Come flooding back in. People of first prayers. We'll let those folks come on in. Okay, dear friends, thank you for hanging in there today, for giving this Saturday. Uh, as, uh, as, as I said, we kind of dreamed and envisioned this, this day, and we thought, you know, maybe, I thought, maybe 250, 300 people might come out. Ah, ha, ha, ha. And here we've been 600 strong, and, um, and I wanted to also acknowledge and say hi to those who have been um, diligently following along and couldn't be here today. But we've got folks actually who were on vacation in, in Virginia and Arizona and different places and, and were very careful to set up their time with us to watch and be part of this all day long on their vacation. And so we're grateful for those people who are tuned in. And, and I just want to, uh, again, before we kind of close out the day in our last session, appreciate the staff who, uh, who took this thing above and beyond what anything that I could have, have dreamed of. And so grateful for the energy that they have put into this. Um, I did actually have a number, what was the number, but now I've lost it, but it's over a hundred, I think, that are online. Is that, anybody up there know that? Can give me an affirmative? Uh, but we're grateful for that. That's, that's an engagement in its own. Well, our hope today is that you feel, that you feel enthused about your church, that you feel energized about what God's doing here, that knowing who we are and what we're doing, who are they, what are they doing, helps you to know how to be a part of it. And the more of us, the more core there is that can answer who is First Pres, what are they doing, the more of us who can help someone to come and be a part of it and to meet Jesus. So I'm excited about what God is going to do on the back end of this time that you've devoted to, to being here together as a church and leaning into Christ's call. And we've got one more value to share. One more. This is the last value. You can't value anything else ever. <laughs> this is the seventh value that we name in our first pres way, seven values in our pursuit of Jesus. Value number seven, make beauty. Creativity reflects the goodness of God our maker. I think God, because we're created in his image, we have this drive to create, he gave us that. I think that God gives us the creativity to make things beautiful if we surrender to him and we don't make it about ourselves. I like to dance because I get to glorify Jesus in a different way than a lot of people do and I feel really free when I'm dancing.
Live for God, hold fast, keep growing, love like Jesus, share good news, deploy generosity. And I wonder if this one, number seven, is the one that gives you the most pause. Like, what does that mean, make beauty? It sounds kind of weird, you know? What's it, what are we talking about there? That's not something I've heard all that much in the past. Well, let me set it up this way. Friends, the church today is a little bit on the outs with our society. Um, I saw a lot of head nods. <laughs> the church today has got a different agenda from the culture that we're in. How, how does that sound? Would you agree with that? The kinds of goals, the kinds of, uh, of, of um, uh, advances that the culture around us are trying to make are not the same as the kinds of goals and advances of the church. What we think brings life and brings light and, and, and leads to goodness and truth is contrary to what the vast swath of our current contemporary culture believes is good and is right and brings goodness and truth. And friends, where we are is um, increasingly we are more and more in the same posture as the believers were in the early church. When the church began, it was seeded into a culture that thought very little of who the church was. And actually, you know, actually in Roman culture, they used to call Christians atheists. Atheists. (laughs) Why? Because they wouldn't sacrifice to all the Roman gods. And so you are atheistic. You are immoral. They used to call them immoral because you don't walk in the same mores and the same codes of life that we walk in. You are immoral. And you are, you know, they, also, they call them cannibals, you know, because these Christians, somehow they went off behind closed doors and they were having some kind of, a, of, a, of a, an agape feast where they were eating flesh and blood, right? <laughs> you follow? They didn't understand. We were misunderstood, mischaracterized. We were, we were cast aside from society. And, and there, was very little, there was very little confidence that a Christian would be the right kind of person to have around to help you advance anything at all. And there was very little confidence that the Christian could do good in the world. And what did these Christians do? In the early church, what did they do? Well, instead of critiquing everything about Roman and pagan culture, what they did was they started creating a beautiful way of life. They started creating culture. They, they contributed to truth and beauty and goodness all around them. And, and that's how they impacted the non-Christian Roman pagan world of their day. You want the world around you to change? Don't criticize. Create. Make something beautiful. Make something worthy. Don't just hate what's bad. Love what's good. And invest yourself in what's beautiful. And let that have an influence on the world around you. There's a speaker and an author and a thinker named Andy Crouch. And a couple of years, 2016, in the springtime, we had Andy Crouch here for a Christian Life Conference. Uh, He was serving at the time as uh, the president of Christianity Today and and was an author of a book called Culture Making, Recovering Our Creative Calling. And his main thesis was this, that we are called to be culture makers. 
They were not so much called to critique culture or to, to uh, get upset with culture, to complain about culture, you know, or uh, to complain about all the movies and the TV shows and the video games and everything and just sort of be in a posture of complaining. So that, that posture, that isn't going to help to advance the gospel. So instead of critiquing, instead of complaining, instead of criticizing, instead of copying, copying culture, making a Christian version, let's create something new. Let's make something beautiful. It's such a compelling vision. When Andy Crouch uh, heard that we were naming Make Beauty as one of our seven values, he wanted to send a message along to you, First Pres, to encourage you. So here's a short video message from Andy Crouch. Hello, friends at First Pres Colorado Springs. I am so thrilled to get to talk to you for a moment. I heard about the seven new elements of the First Pres way and the way that it ends with this beautiful call to make beauty, reflecting the creativity of God who is our maker. And I hope that in some way you were inspired uh, to think along those lines by the wonderful time we had together a few years ago when we reflected on how God makes the world and then we are called to make something of the world. You all live in a place with incredible created beauty that just intrinsically reflects the creative goodness and abundance of God. And you're called to make uh, culture in the image of God in that way, uh, also creating that kind of abundance and possibility out of the material of the world that God has given you. And as I was thinking about this and about the other six elements of your way and the way that you are called into the way of Jesus together, it occurred to me that we're called to make culture and make beauty, yes, in the image of God, the creator, God who we call Father, the one who, through whom all things were made. But we're also called to make in the image of God, Son and Spirit. And when we think about God, the Son, the image of the invisible God, we think about one who came, Isaiah says, without actually having beauty, without having form or loveliness that we would intrinsically look at him and desire him. There was something about Jesus that was not evidently beautiful and that yet actually reflected the true beauty of God. And so you aren't just creating in the image of God when you support the arts and when you create a beautiful space to welcome people into your church and uh, into their neighborhoods, but you're also uh, creating beauty in the image of God when you recognize the sun in even the apparently least beautiful, when you serve those who don't have any form or loveliness that anyone else would look at them, but you look in, at them and serve them in the name of Jesus. And then I was thinking about the spirit. And the fact that the Spirit shows up in many places in Scripture, but at the very end, the very last line of Scripture is the Spirit and the Bride say, come. The Spirit invites us into God's future when all things will be made new. And the Spirit invites us into the church that lives in hope that even in a world where the Lamb can be slain, that one day that world and that uh, slain, risen Lamb will be the, the focus of all our attention, the focus of all real beauty come together in the new creation. So as you live in the midst of the creation of Colorado Springs and you make culture there, create beauty, as you recognize the sun, even in those who do not seem lovely and serve them in his name, create beauty. And as you anticipate the day when all things are made new and create out of that kind of hope, make beauty together. God bless you. Thank you for inviting me to be part of your life and following of Jesus together. Such an encouragement to get that from Andy Crouch. 
So a young man enlists in the 82nd Airborne Division, and he asks the recruiter, what do I have to do next? The recruiter says, you're going to have to go through some training. In fact, you have to go to airborne school. He says, what happens at airborne school? The recruiter says, don't worry about it. You'll find out when you get there. <laughs> he says, no, 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 really, what happens? Oh, well, okay. Well, the first thing they do, they separate the men from the boys. And the next thing they do is they, they separate the men from the fools. And the third thing that happens is the fools jump out of airplanes. <laughs> where's Josh Keffer? Come on, Josh Keffer. Where's the, yeah, there's the airborne soldier right there, Bob McConnell. That's right. Uh, the fools jump. Jesus told a story about, uh, about three, two who stayed on the ground and one who jumped. The parable of the talents, it's called. The parable of the talents. He said there was a rich man who was going away and he, and he left his wealth to, uh, to three other stewards to take care of it for them. He said, you guys make something of this while I'm gone. He gave the first one about a, a bag of money that Jesus, telling this story, you have to know, he was saying he gave him a bag that's worth about $2.5 million. He said, now while I'm gone, you make something of this. He gave the next guy a bag of money, a bag of money that to us would, would be about $500,000. He says, now while I'm gone, you make something of this. And he gave, a, he gave each to their, according to their ability, uh, and what talents they would be expected to handle. And the first servant came back and made a full return on the investment. So I went out and I risked it and, uh, and the money is doubled. And so he, he brings back all of that to the master. And what does the master say? Well done, good and faithful servant. The second one, likewise, brings in a full return. Of course, that's less than the first one. You know, he doubled $2.5 million. The second one just doubled the 500000 But what does Jesus say? He says the same thing to him. Well done, good and faithful servant. He isn't held accountable to what's been given to somebody else. He's held accountable to what's been given to him. And he risked it, and he jumped, and he saw a reward. The master celebrates the success. And he says, come on into the joy that I want to share with you. Come on into the happiness that I want to share with you. Why? Because he celebrates. He loves to see us risk and use what, what he's given us for his glory and to make a doubling of return, to see it make something in the world. He loves to see us do well with the gifts he's given us. And we can feel his pleasure when we do that, when we do with what he's given us, when we do to, to make something of what he's given us. We feel his pleasure in that. And he celebrates with us in his joy. And we feel his celebration over us. But we have to jump. Because there is a third guy in the story. The third guy in the story, you see, he buried his talent in the dirt. And what did he say to the master when the master came around and said, and he, he gave him back what, what, uh, what the master had originally given to him. He said, look, it's all there. But what does the master say to him? He says, what have you done? And this man in the story, he, he wants to blame his failure of action, his inaction. He wants to blame it, not on his own fear, not on his own uh, lack of, of ability or lack of courage. He wants to blame it on the character of the master. So he says, I knew you to be a hard man. 
who reaps where he does not sow. I knew you to be a, an evil man, a mean man, a hard, a hard man of, of spiteful character. That's what I knew you to be. And so I, I hoarded it away. What you gave me, I sheltered. I did not risk it so that I could return to you exactly what you had given to me. And what does the master say? Take him away. Take him away. Cast him into outer darkness. So that's not the way to go, right? <laughs> and that's what Jesus is saying. Hey, God is not a God of nasty character, of mean character. God is not a God sitting up in heaven waiting to zap you when you take a misstep. God is not hard and, 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 and just arbitrary and mean and hard-hearted. And, 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 you know, just God, God wants you to take what he's given you and make something of it. And when you make something of it, when you risk it, when you make something of the gifts that he's given you, then he, he, he celebrates with you. He celebrates with you that it's been done. The church, friends, we're called not by a mean and angry and cheap God who's against us. We're called by a God that has given each of us good gifts. And we're called by that God to make something beautiful. To make something beautiful. Now, it's not always artistry. It's not always in the gifts of what we would call the arts. There's all kinds of different ways to make what Andy Crouch would call cultural artifacts. It's whenever we're making something of the world around us, we're creating a culture that's beautiful. Maybe it's that you make waffles with your kids on Saturday mornings, and they're always expecting that. Maybe it's that you've got a habit of telling long stories over the, around the campfire with grandchildren. Maybe it's that, that uh, you, know, you take a walk with your spouse uh, around the same sort of corner of the block and you recognize the beauty of that block. Maybe there's a, uh, something that you bake. Maybe you make a heck of an apple pie. Hey, you're creating something. You're creating something beautiful of what God has put into your hands. And friends, the church is called to make beautiful things. Imagine the generation of the church that stopped producing music, stopped celebrating the arts, stopped writing. Imagine that generation of the church. Sometimes I feel like we're threatened by that. We've got to make beautiful things. Make beautiful things. Better than combating culture or withdrawing from culture or blandly imitating culture is creating culture. So since I've arrived at First Pres, I've emphasized us being a generative body, a body that makes things like God made everything in Genesis. The church, as a reflection of that, wants to be a making things body. We want to be a generative body. And it manifests ourself, itself in our art community that uh, each I meet with uh, before each series as I'm able to inspire them to create original pieces of artwork that go up on our walls. It manifests itself in our hymnody and our praise songs with staff intentionally given room not just to play things that other people have played in the past, but to create new music. Jim Desjarnet is on sabbatical, as we have talked about. He is on sabbatical one of the primary things that's in front of him is that he has uh, notebook after notebook of original pieces of music. You know that, don't you? And what we want Jim to be able to do is to disperse that music in a way that inspires the rest of the church. Because God didn't make him to make that just for us. God made him to make that to inspire the church. So we want our, the things that are made here to go out from here. Uh, 
Chris Collins is on our staff, and he uh, has been up here leading us in music today and runs our contemporary worship service. And Chris Collins is not only here for his incredible leadership talents and, and his worship leadership talents, but he's here on our staff because he's someone who creates music. He writes original music. And we want people that are here writing original music that can produce songs that will inspire others. Matt Holtzman has written, uh, he's got three dozen songs that you can download on iTunes. <laughs> Where's Matt? Beautiful songs, beautiful music that he has written. It's not just meant to sit here. It's meant to go out from here and inspire the church and inspire believers. We want to create beauty. And so he took a big step forward in this value in 2019 through some gifts from supporters of music and the arts and through the hard work of the staff who did a lot of the demolition and the painting and the wiring and the welding. I mean, I saw them doing stuff in there. It's like, don't do that. Hire somebody to do that. They wanted to do it on their own, help us get this across the finish line. We were able to open a creative suite in the basement of the Stevens building. That's what it looks like. Why would we do a thing like that? Because so much of the music and the videos and the artistry that gets generated here gets stuck here. And that's not what's meant to happen. It's meant to go out from here. So that creative suite, uh, not only can it record uh, original songs from worship bands, praise songs, it's been built to be able to record our choir in four parts and balance the parts. And it can record an orchestra in different parts. And, and it can produce uh, recordings of those things. And, and we're serious. What we're saying is that we are serious about the business of making beautiful things. But it isn't just music. It isn't just the arts. It's all kinds of different ways that you could use your gifts to create artifacts that are beautiful, that reflect the goodness of God our Creator. Here's the bottom line, friends. So a lot of different churches, a lot of different leadership philosophies. Some churches would lead you on boycotts. Some churches would lead you into protests. Some churches would lead you in various ways to combat culture or to withdraw from culture. Your leadership here at First Pres, we want to lead you into creating culture, to making beautiful things that on their own testify to the truth and beauty and goodness of God our Maker. Are you with that? Amen. All day long, a dear friend named Marlene Court, come on up here, has been working on something over here. Anybody notice? (laughs) Been working on a little project over here? What, what yes, are you doing? I have. Didn't well, you know we had a meeting in here? <laughs> I had my back to them. I had no <laughs> idea they were here. <laughs> um, so tell us a little bit about this project. Okay. Well, what we wanted to do today was really give a visual illustration of what Andy Crouch has talked about. We want to cultivate what's beautiful in our culture right now. This is a big deal right now in Denver. We're hosting a fantastic exhibit of Monet. So many people here came up to me and said, I just saw these um, in Denver. So it's a wonderful time to sort of um, capture the attention that we already have about um, an artist who really paints the light. And mm-hmm. we're so much about the light and life here at First Press, it seemed mm-hmm. like a great way to sort of capture it, but create it as our own. So trying to do a, a painting like Monet would do of mm-hmm. water lilies, but then incorporating into this painting all of the words of our community here mm-hmm. who shared at lunch 
where they saw themselves adding beauty into their world. So there were more than, I mean, there were 600 people, but there were a lot more than 600 words. Wow. <laughs> so, Some so people anyways, added extra words. Yes. You so got extra Chris words. Chris and Duncan in. helped me, and we got all, the, all of your words. So this is your contribution as a community effort. Nice. So tell us about why water lilies. What did water lilies uh, mean something to your heart as you're thinking yeah, about this project? Yeah, well, it is interesting. Um, Monet painted over 250 paintings of water lilies from his own garden. And water lilies are great because they're solidly rooted in the ground, but they have to reach and seek the light. And that seemed to be very much what we were talking about today. When I looked through the, the language, those words kept coming out, reaching, seeking the light, sharing light. And really, it's only when those water lilies reach the surface and get the full glory of the light that they produce fruit and that they really become what we think of as a water lily. So it just seemed like a great way of illustrating some of what we're looking at here at First Press. Amen. And I just want to look at some of these words here. So these were words of uh, how we make beauty in the world. Right. Here's Big Blue. Big Blue. All right. You know that. Yep. Here's through acts of kindness. Yeah, yeah. Loving my wife. Yes. Somebody's got points today. There you go. <laughs> Here's somebody who's just being me. Just being me. And that, that's their yeah, expression. Smiles. Yep. Smiles, laughter, hugs. Um, somebody said when they um, go visit people in hospice, they see yeah. beauty in that. Amen. I mean, that's what we're after, Amen. right? Well, it's been amazing to watch you take this from uh, nothing to an actual visual expression of what we experienced together in this room today. And uh, wouldn't you agree that this is quite a profound finish? Would you thank Marlene for it? It might not be readily apparent to you how you make beauty in the world. But you know what? Like these other values, we're going to work on this together because you have gifts. You have gifts that God has given you. And in cultivating those gifts, you think of those water lilies. There may be a growing, there may be a reaching, there may be a stretching to break the surface before you really are able to say, this is the thing. This is the thing that I like to do just to reflect the goodness and the beauty and the love of God my Father in heaven. And it might be a special gift of art or different things that you're able to do, but it may be uh, just an excellent chocolate chip cookie. And if it is, would you bring it by? (laughs) So friends, this is our seventh value. Make beauty. Creativity reflects the goodness of God our Maker. And we're going to take time now for a pause as we have. I invite you to open up your field uh, guide there. And write down your reflections. And what does it mean to be a part of a church that wants to contribute beauty to the world around us? I want to ask you, where do your spiritual gifts do good? Where do your spiritual gifts do good? Let's take time together. Thanks for listening to the First Prez podcast. If you would like more information, you may visit our website at firstprezcos.org.